Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I am a New York attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, Can you keep a secret? Keep a, keep a secret. knowing how to respond to the question. Keep a over the following weeks and months, I'm going to take a look at some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing with you about my new book, how you can get information about my upcoming live Zoom trainings, and how you can contact me have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. Let's talk about the topic of consent. Recently, I was speaking with a friend who told me about an individual from our church who made the allegation that she had been sexually assaulted by him. Now, I remember this really well. However, the issue that lied at the time that we heard this statement is that this girl spent a lot of time with guys. She was very flirtatious. So that doesn't mean to say that we were at all blaming her, but we had the perception that she had put herself in a position which allowed this to happen. Now, I believe that there were many people who may have thought that she brought it on herself. That was not the case with me. But I understand that there are instances when our conduct and behavior can give a wrong impression or can lead a person on. But that doesn't mean to say that we are giving them the authority to take advantage of us. Now, fast forward seven or so years later, I met the accused, the guy who I was also a good friend with, and I asked him about the incident. I didn't ask him specifics, I just mentioned her and said, I recall that she made an allegation about you. And his response was that she had invited him to her house. Now, I didn't say anything in response to that, and we eventually changed topic of conversation, but I didn't understand that. I was kind of bothered. It was almost as though he was saying to me, unspoken words, by her inviting him to her house, that was consent. That is not the case. And even if that may be culturally acceptable, for example, in the state of New York, legally, that is not consent for sexual activity to transpire. And it makes me think about there are instances when a female may be a victim of sexual abuse or assault. And those who hear of the case will accuse and blame her. Why was she out at night? Why was she wearing that particular item of clothing? Why was she unaccompanied by a male? In fact, there was a case a number of years ago in Delhi of a girl who was with her boyfriend. I believe she was in Western attire, a skirt. I believe it was a skirt that was short. I believe that's what I heard. And that she and her boyfriend were taking the bus home. From what I read and what I've heard from news reports and reading articles, allegedly, and I say allegedly because I wasn't there, 
she was on the bus with her boyfriend and they had kissed. Now, this is India, but at the same time in Delhi, it is very culturally different to a place such as Chennai, where you will go to certain establishments and alcohol is not available on the menu. In Chennai, for example, we tend to wear local clothing and the culture is very different. I guess you could say it's a little bit more legalistic and they are more enshrouded in their religion. There are a lot of Catholics there a number of Christians, and then, of course, Hinduism is one of the big religions. In Delhi, it's a lot freer. And in fact, if you want to talk about being pure and abstaining from sex before marriage, one may describe themselves, for example, as a Chennai girl, whereas if a person is not like that, enjoys sexual freedom, if I can use such a term, you would say that they are a Delhi girl or a Delhi boy. And so on this particular occasion... This couple had come from the movie theater. They were on the way home. Allegedly, they had kissed on the bus. And unfortunately, there were a number of other individuals on the bus who decided to assault the couple. They brutalized the boyfriend as well as the girlfriend. And what I read is that they had taken an object and they had inserted into the female. And she succumbed to her injuries a short while later and eventually died. It's very difficult and uncomfortable saying that, but that is the reality. That is what happened. Now, whether she was wearing a skirt that was short, whether she was wearing jeans, whether she was kissing her boyfriend, did not give anyone else consent or authority to assault her or assault her boyfriend. Even if her behavior is not socially acceptable in that part of Delhi or it's not socially acceptable to those on the bus, that is besides the point. And so we even have to think about how people will view such a story far too often the blame will be on the victim rather than on the perpetrator because the reality is no matter what a victim is wearing no matter how thin the clothing how loose the clothing how short the clothing how minimal the clothing is that is not a sign in neon flashing with lights and bells and whistles saying sexually assault me violate me or rape me that's not the case in the same way the friends from church, male and female, spend time together at the female's home after the female offers and sends an invitation via call, text, WhatsApp, social media. That is not an automatic invitation. So I don't know if anything happened. I'm no longer in contact with the girl. But my antenna was on high alert when he made the statement, well, she invited me. Because that, for me, sounds as though something took place, something transpired. And he is blaming her because by her sending that invitation, communicating that invitation to him, she, in his mind, was saying something of a sexual nature will transpire. I find that quite interesting, particularly because this is friends, or these are, or were, should I say, to be exact, these were friends from church. In other words, when they met, whether it's at her home or his home, Engaging in sexual activity should have been the furthest from his mind. Even if that is the norm with his non-Christian friends, she's a Christian. And clearly that was not her intention. So we have to consider the fact that that's not her intention. That was not her desire. And so therefore it was wholly inappropriate. And so we have to consider too, to avoid such a situation occurring, we have to consider the environment where we choose to socialize with a person irrespective of their gender because a person may be same gender and may also assault you that does happen in the same way we have cases of domestic violence where an individual 
for example, a couple, male and female, the man is actually being abused by the female. This is something that often is not heard about. It's something that far too many times we will not believe. And the result of us disbelieving such a reality or possibility is probably one of the reasons why an individual who is experiencing domestic violence at the hands of their female partner, and they're a male, will be less willing to speak up because of the shame and the blame. But we actually all have an obligation to have our eyes open to what is going on around us, whether that is with friends, co-workers, colleagues, because a person could be going through a situation and they need help, they need support. But instead of you offering that hand of support, you judge them, you believe that they bought it on themselves, you accuse, you blame and that's not okay. Even if there is some culpability on the part of the female, that's really besides the point. Even if she's intoxicated, again, that does not say that she is consenting to being assaulted. And one of the issues I found is that far too often when a victim survivor undergoes cross-examination, they are interrogated to the point where even they probably start to disbelieve the reality of what occurred. And even they start to question whether they had indeed given consent. In fact, consent can be withdrawn. A person may consent and then change their mind. That is okay. But we have to consider if a crime occurs, if sexual assault takes place, and if the victim survivor decides to press charges to bring this forward to inform the police, and then the court case goes further, rather than it gets thrown out because of NFA, as we would call it in the UK, no further action insufficient evidence it's unlikely that the jury will believe if the case does get to court we do not want that victim to be re-victimized having to go through play by play of the account of her experience when we think about the Delhi story the girl who was assaulted and died from her injuries there was no opportunity for her to speak up but I cannot imagine what that would have been like for her if she had been fortunate enough to survive and the fact that her story would have been publicized. And when we think about the shame culture in a place like India, I can only imagine how difficult that would be. In fact, there is a hotel or group of hotels in India which have been created, stroke invented, for the purposes of enabling couples to engage in sexual activity outside of marriage because it is frowned upon. India has a great culture, in my opinion, but unfortunately goodness sometimes does come with its challenges and so despite all the positives that are there the community the culture the unity the difficulty is that in a place like India the shame and the stigma attached in fact recently on one of my interviews somebody spoke about Nigeria where she grew up was born was victimized by three cousins sexually was victimized by a male teacher at school and spoke about kidnappings child marriage where an individual male or female will decide to allow friends to kidnap her so that she can put herself up for ransom and have her parents pay money and she spoke about the issue of child marriage even the fact that we have individuals children young adults women who are victimized sexually assaulted raped and as a result of what has taken place what has transpired they then have to move into the rapist's home and she spoke of instances where the rapist's family will fully embrace. Can you even imagine that? Think about an individual that you do not like romantically. You're female, there's a guy you're not romantically interested in, and he has shown an interest and you have rebuffed it every time. 
and he wants to be with you. You do not. You believe in free will. You believe in choice. And even as Christians, we know we have a choice as to the decisions that we make, whether we choose to obey or disobey, whether we choose to be like Jonah or not. And so you decide, this is not the person for me. I'm not romantically interested. I don't want to spend the rest of my life with this individual. I don't even want to give them a chance for whatever reason you so choose. Let's say in Nigeria, in certain communities, because this is not the entire country of Nigeria. It depends on community, tribe, etc. The individual in question sexually assaults and rapes you. And because of the community that you come from, the shame, the stigma attached, you are then given over to the rapist. And so he gets what he wants. That, I think, is not okay. And I've heard of such instances and such stories in the Middle East. I saw something on the Internet of a woman who was young woman who was speaking on a program and saying that I had to live with my rapist. I believe she was raped in childhood at either the age of 12 or 16. This is not okay under any circumstances. But as I shared with this lady on my interview, Nigerian woman, the laws are only as good as the lawmakers. Laws must be enacted, but they need to be acted upon. For me, I strongly believe in second chances. I don't believe in a knife for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that because somebody has raped, that they too should be raped. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the death penalty. And one thing we both agreed on is the fact that the death penalty, it ends it. It's over. Now, I'm not saying a person should sit, suffer, but... I believe that a person behind prison bars may be able to be a positive member of prison society by contributing in various ways. Having read a number of books about people being incarcerated, I've, I've read stories of individuals that go in there for whatever reason and are actually able to be an inspiration to others, able to mentor, able to educate, able to inspire. As Brian Stevenson says, the attorney who runs uh, the organization Equal Justice Initiative. He says, we are more than the worst thing we have done. And I firmly believe that. Even with my friend, the guy, let's assume, worst case scenario, he sexually assaulted this girl I was friends with. Does that make him a bad person? I don't think so. But at the same time, I believe that he needs to be repentant. I believe he needs to be honest. He doesn't need to go around and telling people, oh, I sexually assaulted this girl. That maybe is not appropriate. But I think that rather than placing the responsibility and blame upon her, he looks at himself and casts a magnifying glass on himself as to where he falls short, what he did wrong. And my hope is that he is a changed person, that, you know, despite his singleness at this current moment of time, despite the seven years that has transpired and how he has aged and hopefully matured, my desire is that such an incident could not possibly happen again because he will, as the Bible says, flee from all appearances of evil. In fact, even yesterday in our Love Languages class, we were talking about boundaries in relationships. And by having a chaperone, by not going to each other's house, that is creating boundaries. But even so, people experience unwanted attention, unwanted physical touching in public. And again, that's when we come back to the issue of consent. It's about communication. It's about respecting another person that no means no, no matter whether it is innocent or not. When we move aside from that and think about interactions, communications, conversations, we've also got to consider, too, that sometimes the things that we say, the jokes that we make, they may be inappropriate. They may be overstepping. Now, of course, I'm thinking about 
how do we get someone to consent? We don't know necessarily if this joke is going to rub the person the wrong way. But I think that we need to be aware enough. And I don't ever like to use the term awareness. But we need to be aware enough of body language, of the way a person is behaving. Read the signs in the same way that we will abstain from all forms of sexual morality. That we will place ourselves in environments where our conduct will remain holy and wholesome by not allowing us to be in a position where the enemy can put us in a compromising position where we will fall into temptation. It's about realizing that we are not super strong, that each one of us is human. As the Bible says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's about knowing the appropriate boundaries, knowing about your relationship with God, your representation of being a Christian, and how that is reflected to others. At the same time, though, we need to understand that the people that we associate with, they may see things differently from us. No matter how much we may strive to live a godly life, no matter how much we may strive to be better people, better Christians, to respect and to honor and to cherish and to value our brothers and sisters in Christ and those who are not of the flock, at the end of the day, communication is key. We have to consider what would Jesus do? And I hate to say that because the reality is we really don't know. We are sinners saved by grace. We really don't know what Jesus would do, but we have to consider that. Would Jesus wear a short skirt if he was a female? Jesus was a female. Would he wear a short skirt to the movie theater knowing that if Jesus was female, he's going to get on a bus and go home late at night with his boyfriend. I'm saying he because Jesus is a man, but I'm saying, for example, if he was a female, if Jesus was born a female, he's not. But if he was, would he dress that way, even though he's with his boyfriend and the fact that he's going to be getting on a bus home? I don't believe so. It's not saying that this victim in Delhi was to blame, not at all. But we have to realize that there are people who can be used by the enemy. Now, I hope that didn't confuse you when I was saying key and skirt, etc. Because in this day and age, anything goes, especially with transgenderism. But I'm just giving the example. If we consider, what would Jesus do? Even for females, when we get dressed, would Jesus dress like this? If Jesus was female, he's not. If he was, would he dress like this? Would he behave that way? If Jesus was on the bus, would he kiss his partner on the bus? Probably not. If we were in the West, possibly yes. But at the same time, that raises the question of whether... We should save kissing to a marriage, which is a whole other topic. Think about my friend, this female, a former friend. If that was Jesus, would Jesus have an individual of the opposite gender come to their home? I don't believe so. The appearance of sin. It's not even about those in church per se. It's even about your neighbors. It's about your housemates. What message are you giving? We need to be set aside from the world. We need to demonstrate that we are not the same. We can do that with words, but often words are so empty. But more with actions. The Bible says that by their fruit, you will know them. And fruit is love, patience, self-control. The list goes on. But these are demonstrated through actions. If you're loving, you cannot love mentally, so to speak. You can't be patient mentally. You would be patient with an action by not checking your watch continuously. By not tapping your foot, you would love through actions by giving, by serving through actions. And so we have to consider the actions that I demonstrate, the actions that I make, are they going to destroy my testimony? 
And when I say destroy, there are people who will watch us from the outside. We are the only Bible that they're reading. When they look at us, are they seeing a representation of Christ or are they seeing we're just like everyone else? Are we even leading other people to sin? When you invite somebody of the opposite gender to your home alone, what are you saying to your non-Christian friends? They don't believe it's Bible study. If the guy who goes to that same church does not believe it's Bible study and God forbid something took place, something transpired, if he went there anticipating something of a sexual nature would occur, what more for non-believers who maybe don't understand that we as Christians should be abstaining from any type of sexual morality. And I say that because there are Christians who fornicate, even overtly. We have Christians who will be living with their boyfriend, girlfriend, fiancé, partner. And so because of that reality, there are non-believers who will not know that there is this godly standard. So the thing is, consent is all well and good, but we need to communicate consent with our words and with our actions. We need to communicate consent by abstaining from anything that will cause a brother or sister to believe we are consenting to something when we're not. Body language speaks volumes and often more than your words. That doesn't give anyone the excuse to ignore the lack of consent, to ignore the no, not at all. But we have to take a bit of responsibility in the sense of how am I culpable for this? It should not have happened. But moving forward, how can I prevent a reoccurrence of this in the future? We have to live and learn from our mistakes. We talk about forgiving and forgetting. Forgiveness, absolutely, it's in the Bible. But the issue with forgetting is if we forget, we can make those same mistakes again and again and again. So I feel fundamentally forgive, use wisdom in future decisions, but don't forget it's not about placing blame on yourself and saying, I'm a bad person, but it's about accepting this is what I did wrong going forward. This is what I need to do. Because for me, I socialize with males and females. I socialize with people of different genders, ethnicities, race, creed, and color. But I am very intentional. If I'm spending time with males, it's always in a public place. They will not be coming to my house unless it's a group of other females. I personally would not have two guys come to my house. Why? The appearance of evil. In this day and age, there is such a thing as orgies. There are people who have swinging parties, multiple sex parties. Therefore, if I'm going to have a guy visit my home so that I can cook, because I love to cook, I would ensure that that guy who comes over, he is coming over with a female. So that way, nobody would be having an opportunity to presume or to think or assume that something else is going on that is not God honoring. I don't want ever, ever I don't want to ever have a situation where my testimony is destroyed. And that's a strong term destroyed. But when there are people who are watching you, people who have not communicated they're watching you, they're standing at the sidelines, they look at you, they admire you, they may admire your zeal, your passion for the Lord. They admire your willingness to serve God at all costs, to abstain from things of the world. From, from cursing, using profanity, from drinking, smoking, taking drugs. They admire those things in you. And even though they may not say this to you, that is where they're at. They see you, they admire you. They do not have a relationship with Jesus. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he looks like, but you're a representation. You resemble him. When you have the fruit of the spirit, you resemble him. There are parts of our character that resemble him. 
our willingness to turn the other cheek resembles Christ. Our willingness to wash one another's feet, metaphorically speaking, resembles him. And so for me, I want to make sure that I always behave in a way that is not going to cause confusion, that is not going to cause someone else to fall into sin. I want to hold my hand up and say I did not put myself in a position where an individual believed that I was consenting to something I was not. And even though I did not give consent, they went ahead anyway and assaulted me. I personally believe lightning doesn't strike three times in the same spot. And after being victimized a number of times in my life sexually, I personally believe the Lord is going to allow this to happen to me again. But it requires my wisdom. It requires me to protect myself. Yes, I know that God will place a hedge of protection around me. But to protect myself in the sense of making decisions that will not allow the enemy any room, will not allow a foothold to creep into my life where I'm vulnerable. Yes, I take risks, but I believe in taking godly risks. Think about the three men in the fiery furnace. That was a godly risk. The guy who walked on water, godly risk. The one in the lion's den, godly risk. It is not you wearing very short or very inappropriate clothing for a guy, very tight-fitting clothing, maybe topless or a very tight shirt or with your buttons down, and then going to some female's home who you believe has a romantic interest in you, it's not even about that. It's about godly risks, not about, oh, let me put myself in a position that is possibly going to lead to compromise, but God will spare me. God will save me. Not at all. Think about how you represent Christ. Think about the fact that we may not consent, but our actions speak otherwise. And think about your testimony. You don't want to have a destroyed testimony. You don't want to be a victim survivor. And you do not want to be a perpetrator. So remember consider consent not just because someone has invited you to their home means automatically oh i have a free pass we will engage in sexual activity don't think that and even more so when you're a christian flee from the appearance of evil and flee from sin thank you for listening to another episode of can you keep a secret i trust that the information has been useful to you i believe that we all need knowledge and education and when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, it enables us to better safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics being covered each week, then please reach out to me for a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message or email me so that I can answer your questions in upcoming episodes. We can all learn from one another. And this is an educational series that I hope will impact and change not just your life, but also that of the people around you. You can find all my contact details on my website, changingcases.org. That's changingcases.org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family members. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just don't know it. But if we can all be educated, then the world will be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode. So we can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. So we can talk about it. Talk about it, yeah, let's talk about it, yeah.